uh, are going through the book of John, as you know. We're on uh, John chapter 10. And uh, as we go through that today, again, you can, you can open your Bibles and follow along with me. You can pull the notes out. You can ignore them. You can, you can get away with almost anything. I won't know. Uh, but what is happening here in John chapter 10, we've been seeing a real consistent uh, message from Jesus through the first nine chapters. And one of the consistent things is he keeps talking about being the light of the world. And it's as if in John chapter 10, he's decided they're not getting this metaphor. I need to go to an entirely different metaphor. And so he goes to sheep and shepherds. Uh, and so this whole thing today will be about Jesus being the good shepherd and his sheep. And there'll be one point where he mixes metaphors, but that's okay because he's allowed to do that. Um, so uh, let's jump in. I'm just going to look, I'm going to read quickly through a lot of it, but I'm going to kind of expand on it more, so I'm going to just trust you to go back and look at it in more detail when you want to. Um, just want to bring some things out. In the first six verses, he just kind of paints a picture, hoping they'll get it, and of course, they don't. Uh, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber which we get. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." And Jesus used this illustration. He's kind of painting pictures. Everybody get it. Uh, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. And probably more accurately, they didn't understand how to slot Jesus into all this. So let me make sure you do. <clears throat> Pardon me. He starts out by contrasting uh, shepherds and thieves. Shepherds can use the door. Thieves have to climb over the wall. Whatever, and it can be implied that thieves aren't coming for a good reason. They're not going to do good things to the sheep. Uh, maybe they're hungry. Maybe they want to steal some wool. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but it's not, it doesn't bode well for the sheep or the shepherd. And so the point here is the shepherd can enter the door because he has legal access to the sheep. They are his sheep. Now, uh, to make sure you understand the metaphor... Uh, in this case, the Messiah is the legal owner of the sheep. He's the, he's the shepherd that's allowed to do what he wants to do with the sheep. And so uh, when he says that the shepherd enters by the door and everyone else who's tried to come in has come as a thief or a liar is, or a thief or a robber is because the door is, in essence, a very narrow prophetic gate through the entire Old Testament uh, that, that uh, of a series of scriptures that the Messiah has to live up to or pass to enter into his position as Messiah. And so what Jesus is trying to get across from them is, look, there's really only one shepherd. There's a very narrow gateway defined by the prophetic scriptures in the Old Testament of who this shepherd is, who this Messiah is. And uh, only that guy uh, 
qualifies to enter by the door. Anyone else who's trying to exercise authority over the sheep is trying to do it invalidly because they haven't fulfilled the doorway. Does that make sense? Okay. And so he goes on and he says, the doorkeeper, which would be God the Father, uh, only opens to the rightful owner. And so uh, he's saying, look, uh, I am the good shepherd. I qualify through the prophetic scriptures to come in through the door. And the doorkeeper, God, will open to me because I am the rightful owner of the sheep. Let me just remind you, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says very clearly, Paul says that all things were made by Jesus for Jesus. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the people and all who dwell therein, including all the sheep. So it's all his. By virtue of ownership, he uh, can come to the door. The doorkeeper, God, will open it and let him in. He's trying to paint this picture, and they don't get it. Uh, but, of course, we, in hindsight, uh, with much more explanation from the rest of the New Testament, can see this easily, right? And so, but what I'm more concerned about is he defines a couple roles here. He says, here's what, basically, here's what the shepherd does. Here's what the sheep do. The shepherd calls his sheep by name. So this speaks of individual intimacy. Uh, he doesn't just go, hey, herd of sheep, follow me, and all you get up and trot along. He starts calling each of you individually by name, right? And so it speaks of the intimacy that he wants to have with his sheep. And then it says he leads them, and he leads them to good places. And so it speaks of the care. So we have to see that the good shepherd is uh, intimately interested in a relationship and he cares and he wants to take care of us, right? So we get this. This is pretty easy. Again, from our perspective, understand they didn't have everything we have to look back to in history. Uh, so they're not getting it. But what's more important is he describes a sheep. He says, my sheep hear my voice. We're going to talk a lot about this as we get in further. But it basically means they're paying attention. When he speaks, they perk up. They go, I know that voice. I know that guy. That's the shepherd. And it says, when they hear his voice, they follow him. I trust that guy. That guy takes me to green pastures where there's food. I'm going to do what he says. So that's it. That's what the sheep do. They know his voice, and they follow him. And I really want you to hang on that because we're going to develop that more as we go on. Uh, but he goes on and he says, they won't follow a stranger because that's a different voice. And we want to make sure that if we're his sheep, we get that part too. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, that voice almost sounds like it's good, but it doesn't line up with you know, this passage in Scripture or this thing God showed me. So I maybe should not follow that voice. Maybe that's a strange voice right? And God's voice, thank God, is always very consistent, isn't it? Because it aligns with the voice of his scriptures. And so his sheep hear his voice and follow him. Two parts. Pay attention to those two parts. So we're going to get into it. So again, they don't get it. And so Jesus takes another shot and he goes, look, I'm the door. So we're going to look at Jesus as the door to the sheep gate in verses 7 through 10. There are two verses in here that you've probably memorized, verse 10 and verse 27. And so we'll camp a little bit more on those. 
So Jesus says to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to kill and to steal and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. All right, so this part we want to make sure we get, we develop. Jesus is the door. He is the way into uh, the sheep gate, into being a sheep. If you want to be in the fold, in God's fold, the sheep that go to heaven, Jesus is the door. There's only one door. There is no other door. This is what Jesus meant in John 14, 6, when he said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I'm the door. I'm the only way. This is it. If you try and come in another way, you're a thief or a robber, and you're going to get caught by the Father, and it's not going to go well. Right? So we've got to go in through the door. And again, he contrasts this with thieves. And, he, and this is interesting. Uh, he says, all who have come before. Now, you get little glimpses that there have been guys who have laid claim to being the Messiah in, this, in the period before Jesus. Remember, uh, we have the prophetic scriptures, but we have a 400-year period between Malachi and Matthew where there's just no voice. There's, there's a famine for the Word of God, uh, or at least the new Word of God. They, have, they still have the scriptures, but there's no prophetic voice uh, guiding them, right? And so he says, all those that came before Anyone who came before me and was trying to exercise authority over the sheep like he owned them, they didn't really have that authority. They were thieves and robbers. And so he says, and that's why the sheep didn't respond. Now, I want to go jump over to Matthew 9 for a second because I want to paint you a picture. Because uh, we maybe miss this, that something really new is going on when Jesus is on the scene. And it's this, sheep are responding. And it's blowing the religious community's minds the way that people are responding to Jesus. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the rulers, are, they can't deal with how everybody's responding to Jesus. Well, why are the crowds responding to Jesus this way? Because for the first time ever, catch this, they have a shepherd. Someone is actually guiding them. This has not happened for hundreds of years. And even through the, test, the times when they had judges or kings or uh, prophets like Samuel, they very rarely had someone shepherding them, right? So this is entirely new for them. And you see this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 38. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered. Have you guys ever felt like that? Oh, I'm just tired and feel like a little scattered. Yeah. Well, it's an indication that you need shepherding. It says, they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And we, we pass over that. It's easy to see that. Uh, but, I mean, realize this. They're going, for the first time, this guy doesn't speak like the scribes and the Pharisees. He speaks as one having authority. Like he actually has authority to tell us what to do as sheep. 
He actually can lead us somewhere. We actually are going to get fed, right? So they have, there's just been incredible uh, empty place where they've not been led. They're just tired and scattered, wandering around, trying to figure out how to survive with no shepherd, okay? And onto the scene comes Jesus, and he says he has compassion because he sees them as being weary and scattered because they've had no shepherd. And then, this is interesting, the very next place he goes is, then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And again, we're going to overlook Jesus using a mixed metaphor because he didn't go to, you know, he didn't major in English. But he goes from they're scattered sheep to there's a harvest. So if I can put those two metaphors together, since they're right next to each other in this passage, he's saying, look, guys, the, all these scattered, weary sheep, uh, they're sheep. They're sheep out here. They just need a shepherd. And they're coming. And for the first time, they're hungry and thirsty because they're getting fed. I'm the one with authority. I'm the good shepherd. I'm guiding them. And he's saying, you need to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out under shepherds, shepherds that are going to come because there's sheep out there. They just need to hear the voice of the shepherd. All the evangelists go, woohoo, right? There's sheep out there. They just haven't heard a voice telling them what to do. They haven't heard the real voice of the shepherd, the voice of Jesus, the Messiah, the good shepherd. And so Jesus is pointing this out and he's going, guys, look, these sheep have been wandering around for hundreds of years. Let's, let's get laborers out here and collect them. And we're still doing that, aren't we? Okay. So then he goes on and he says that whoever enters through this door will be saved. So salvation is awesome. And uh, let me find it. Um, and we'll go in and out and find pasture. So not just say, that's awesome. If just going through the door, you get to go to heaven that's totally a good deal. It's worth it for me. But in this life, I also get to find pasture. As a tired, weary sheep, that appeals to me. Yeah? And so, uh, so what does this mean that these sheep not only are saved, but he, they find pasture? He leads them in the pasture. And of course, uh, a great place to look would be Psalm 23, King David. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. All of those things are built into coming into the door, having your, your soul restored, being led into uh, green pasture, things like that. Amen? Amen? I lost my Bible. There it is. All right. So that's appealing. That's good, right? And so uh, the other place we can see this, though, is in the very next verse where uh, we're asking the question, what does it mean to find pasture? Well, uh, we can see what it means by kind of seeing the opposite. He tells us in verse 10, and this is one of those verses that everybody knows, the thief, and again, it's right off of this idea of finding pasture, right? And that he's the good shepherd, and everyone who came before was a thief. And he says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy thief comes for only one reason, to exploit the sheep, period. It is never good for the sheep. I have come that they might have life and that they may have it 
more abundantly. So he's come to give us abundant life. That's part of what it means by uh, going out and finding pasture, going in and out and finding pasture. He's just, he's giving us abundant life. He's taking care of us. He's protecting us. And so what I want you to see is he's, he's pointing out here that when we are deciding about whether or not we're going to be sheep, whether or not we're going to hear his voice and follow him, we are actually deciding whether we're going to experience life or exploitation. And you may be thinking, and someone may have told you, well, you can not be a shepherd, or I'm sorry, you cannot be one of Jesus' sheep, but you still don't have to be exploited. You could just kind of stay out of the whole thing and be in the middle. Is that true? It is absolutely not. It is not true. And the reason it is not true, and again, this goes with the metaphor of sheep, is there are predators, and predators don't go. The wolf doesn't come along and go, I'll just get those sheep, except for those. Those are on the sideline. They're not in the game. Can't eat those sheep. Right? Predators don't do that. In fact, predators might go, that one on the sideline on the bench, he looks like he's asleep. I'm getting that one. Right? There is no sideline. You're either a sheep or prey. Period. You either come under the good shepherd's protection or you experience the predation that is in the earth. And uh, I want you to see this also in Scripture because uh, we get to thinking that we can be Switzerland and you can't. There's no neutrality here. All right? Uh, even Switzerland, for some, at some day, that's not going to work for them either. Second Peter 2.3, Peter reminds us this. Um, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Keep in that, uh, that idea of uh, lies. Uh, they're going to, he's saying, there are people that covet stuff. And so because they covet stuff, they will, they will try and entice you to covet stuff. They will lie to you to try and exploit you to their ends. In other words, they will use the sheep for their purposes, right? Um, Galatians 4.17, Paul says it again uh, in, a, in a different way. And I really like this in terms of understanding this concept. He says, they zealously court you. Now, the they here he's talking about is religious leaders. He's talking in the book of Galatians to those who have come out and are starting to go back to the law. And he's saying, hey, they, uh, where am I at? I had it. There it is. They zealously court you. Have you ever been zealously courted? Someone knocks on your door and, you know, really wants to sell you something or, you know, I really want you to be in their club. They zealously court you. They really want you on their side. Why? Because they love you? No. They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you. They want to get you out of the sheepfold that you may be zealous for them. Hey, sheep, come over here. I'm zealously courting you. I've got a better deal. I'll take care of you. What really is going to happen is I will use you to take care of me. Right? And that's going on. And so you need to understand that we need a shepherd because there's predation out there. And you're either submitted to the shepherd and under his protection or your prey. Now, some of you 
or thinking, I'm pretty sharp. I can tell when, when there's a predator trying to gnaw on my arm. I, I'm pretty sharp. They're not going to fool me. I've been around the block a couple times. And uh, I don't, uh, I just want to correct this. Uh, I, I don't want you to underestimate how, how truly profoundly dumb sheep are. When God called us sheep, it wasn't necessarily a compliment. <laughs> they will literally graze themselves off a cliffside. Oh, that grass looks good. I think I can reach that. Ah! I'm serious. They'll, shepherds have to watch for sheep just wandering off a cliff, right? In fact, uh, if you have any questions, I've got a video that I think will help you, and I'll, I'll just, I'll narrate it. See if, see if this, you can relate to this in any way. Can we show that video? Okay, here's the sheep. God, God, help me. I'm stuck. God, help me. Help me, Jesus. Woohoo! I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Uh, okay. <laughs> Any questions? Yeah. It was not a compliment. How many of you, don't raise your hand, went, that so describes my walk with Jesus. Right? Dang. I'm in the same rut. Look at, I'm making progress. I'm 10 feet farther up in the same rut. Right? So we need to understand that Sheep are dumb and really, really, really need the shepherd. Don't think you got this thing figured out. You're clever enough to avoid the lies and the predation. You really need a shepherd. Now, here's what I, I want to look at. We talked about Psalm 23 is a great model for what it means to go out and, and find pasture. But there's one verse in there I want you to see. And here's this is kind of a little test of your heart. As you can tell how you're doing as a sheep in terms of your, your heart submission uh, to God. And it's how you see submission. Do you, do you see it as a comfort or as a restriction? In other words, uh, do I come to God and submit to him because I'm comforted by that? I trust him like the sheep who fall because I trust him or because I have to. Because if I don't, you know, he's going to send me to hell. And... Here's what I mean by that. In Psalm 23, uh, he paints the pictures. He goes on in verse 4. He says, um, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of evil, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So let, again, let me paint this picture. David's saying, I'm walking through this valley, and in the shadows, all I can see is evil. And there's a table up here, and I sit down, and I see you prepared a meal, but my enemies are all standing around watching me eat. In the midst of that, I find comfort in your rod and your staff. That represents correction and guidance. Right? So, does God's correction and guidance comfort you? If it does, 
you probably have a submitted heart like a sheep. If you find it to be a restriction, then we may have heart issues to work on because there are predators waiting in the valley of the shadow of death. And your enemies are waiting around the table for an opportunity. The enemies of God are your enemies, right? You understand the picture that he's painting there. In the midst of that, oh, I'm really glad I have a shepherd. I'm really glad for his rod and his staff that he's correcting me and that he's guiding me. And I trust his ways because I know I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and there's always going to be enemies watching me eat. Right? So, do you see submission as comfort like David did or restriction? We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. Uh, in verses 11 through 13, uh, Jesus then begins to refer to himself as the good shepherd. So first, he's the door. Now he's the good shepherd. It's all the same. Uh, and so I'm going to read 11 through 13. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, pardon me, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hiring flees because he's a hireling and he does not care about the sheep. Right? And so he's contrasting a good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep with the hireling who I just want to submit to you. I'm not going to be adamant about this, but I think the Pharisees might qualify uh, in this case. I bet they were sitting up a little straighter. Um, the hireling obviously is profiting from looking after the sheep, but uh, is not interested in protecting the sheep. The hireling very clearly is interested in protecting his life at the cost of the sheep. So it's not about the sheep, it's about the hireling, right? And he's doing that because he doesn't own the sheep, he didn't care. Not my sheep, I don't care. I'll, I'll, I'll protect him, I'll sit here with him if you pay me. But uh, when the wolf comes, I'm out, right? And so we've got to watch uh, that we're uh, with shepherds, not hirelings. I love this prophetic passage in Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 15. And uh, later on in Jeremiah, he, uh, he rebukes the shepherds because they haven't, uh, they've said peace when there's not peace and they haven't done a good job of speaking truth to the people and hearing God's voice and leading them. And he gives this prophetic promise, uh, which for Jeremiah would be in the future. It says, now I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So we are in that time period where Jesus is saying, look, the field is white to the harvest. Pray for the Lord to send out laborers. Pray for the Lord to send out shepherds with his heart who will teach them with knowledge and understanding, who will gather up his sheep into his fold, right? And so you want to be careful about um, recognizing uh, shepherds. You want to make sure, and, uh, you know, again, there's a whole bunch of good shepherds in Brevard County, you guys got it real easy. I could recommend all kinds of shepherds that have God's heart. But you want to be careful that you have a shepherd that has God's heart, that understands, no, I don't own the sheep. God owns the sheep, but I'm not here to profit from the sheep. And because I'm partnering with God, I do have to stay here when the wolf shows up and protect the sheep. Maybe even suffer 
uh, maybe even join in Christ's sufferings for the sake of the sheep. The sheep aren't here for me, I'm here for them. That's the kind of shepherd you want, right? I'm going to make sure you're not a sheep are here for me, shepherd, because um, then all you got's the fleecing, and that's it. Now, I'll, you know, we'll still fleece you every once in a while. But when you get, you know, woolly. Yeah, we do, we do self-fleecing. We don't, you know, you guys handle that. All right, so the key here is the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. It's, it's, it's to our benefit to submit to the good shepherd. And it's to our benefit to submit to those who are submitted to the good shepherd, who are not hirelings. In verse 14 through 18, he continues to talk about the good shepherd, and he gets into kind of the big picture plan. So we want to look at that. Uh, let me read that to you. He says, I am the good shepherd, repeats that again, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so, I know the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. And I want you to see that those two verses are next to each other. He's talking about his relationship with the sheep. And then he immediately starts talking about his relationship with the Father in very similar language. Uh, and then he says, uh, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, uh, let's see, I wanted to go to 18, yeah. Uh, Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I've received from the Father. And so what he's saying here is that the good shepherd intimately knows his sheep. And then he goes on, he says, it's like the same relationship I have with my Father. So I want you to see that. Jesus is going, ah, oh, I, I, I so love my sheep, and my Father so loves me. And I want to put those relationships right next to each other so that you understand what's going on. In fact, here's the plan. I want to meld them together. The plan is that he would sacrifice himself to bring all his sheep into one fold with one shepherd. In other words, into that relationship with the Father. Now catch this. This is important to understand. We've talked about this in, in a, a lot of other places. We've talked about Ephesians where we're accepted and beloved. He's going, I love the sheep. The Father loves me. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's the plan. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to sacrifice myself so that the sheep can come into this relationship that the Father and I have been enjoying for since, you know, before creation, for eternity. I'm bringing them in. This is the plan. The reason I'm laying down my life, and we see it really laid out in John 17, that famous prayer. We'll get to that obviously later, uh, where Jesus is praying to the Father that they would be one as we are one, and I in him, and them in me, and they would love, and they would understand that you have loved them as you have loved me, and all that. He's going, it's awesome. He's going, the plan is really this simple. I'm going to find all the sheep that will hear my voice, and I'm going to die for them so that them and me and the Father, we can all be in the same place. That's the plan. That's awesome. Now, 
Uh, it's a very big Godish messianic plan. And not surprisingly, the Jews have trouble grasping that. So in verses 19 through 21, they react to this. And, and I want you to notice how extreme their reaction is. He says, therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. Because uh, these sayings are pretty profound. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? So there's that question. Are we going to listen to this guy or not? Are we going to hear him or not? Others said, these are not the words of the one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That was what happened in chapter 9, remember? He healed a man born blind. And so we have this wide extreme uh, and nothing in between uh, reaction. Either, well, I think he might be the Messiah. Or, well, I think he's got a demon and he's a deceiver. Or, well, I think he's just crazy. Right? What's interesting is these are absolutely the appropriate responses. These are the only three rational options to respond to a man who claims to be God. And if you've ever read any Josh McDowell or you dig apologetics, uh, you've uh, heard of the trilemma, right? And it's pretty simple. It's this, that uh, when someone claims to be God, like Jesus, well, one possibility is that he's God, in which case you better listen. Another possibility is that he's not God. And those are really the only two possibilities. And, and if he's not God, then there are only two t possibilities. He's not God and he knows it, in which case he's a demonic deceiver. Or he's not God and he doesn't know it, in which case he needs to go to circles of care. <laughs> right? So that's it. That's the trilemma. Lord, liar, lunatic. And they get that right. That it's only, these are the only choices we have. He's either who he says he is, or he's a, a, a wicked liar, or he is just crazy. But you will note that nowhere in there does Jesus give you the option of good moral teacher, you know, profound religious leader, uh, uh, prophet, whatever. Any other category you want to slate him into, all those get taken away at the moment you step up and go, I'm God. You got it? And so maybe if you're, you know, working on some of them sheep out there trying to get them to listen, uh, and they put them in that category, it, actually, this is how I got saved. I'm reading Josh McDowell, and I realized these are my only three choices, and I know it's not those two. It took me about three weeks to decide I was going to act on it. But it's good to understand that, and it's right here in Scripture. It's very clear. Those are the only appropriate options. If you're rational, those are the only appropriate options for a guy who claims to be God. And only once has he been right so far. Okay? So, uh, and that's where, you know, doing the works of the Father come in. So they get what he's claiming. And, uh, and he gets that he's declaring that. So, I want to jump into uh, verses 20 through, 22 through 27. And this is where... Uh, we get into, if we get nothing else out of today, I really want you to understand verse 27, the one that you've probably got memorized and, uh, and I think is way deeper than we realize it is. So let's read this real quick. So it's the feast of dedication, that would be Hanukkah, it's winter, 
and Jesus is in the temple, and the Jews surround him, and they say, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Dang, Nabbit, just tell us. Had enough of this sheep and light of the world parables. You ever feel like that? Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, so here's what's going on. They say, tell us plainly if you're the Christ. And he goes, I did. You didn't believe me. He reminds them, uh, we talked about this last time in chapter 9, about the second witness of the Father's works, that I, I told you who I was, and I demonstrated the power of God the Father by, you know, healing the sick and raising the dead and stuff like that. And you didn't believe. And the reason you didn't believe is because you're not my sheep. That's what he says. And it's not the first time he's told them this. Now, I want to remind you, we already covered this. Jesus isn't picking, he didn't start picking teams at the beginning of creation. These will be on Satan's team. These will be on my team. Uh, he didn't go sheep, sheep, not mine, not mine. Yes, yes, mm, no. You know, they are deciding by their response to the light whether or not they're going to be his sheep or not. They're making this decision. Their response, their choice determines whether they're his sheep or not. Jesus isn't predetermining some people go to heaven, some people go to hell, and you're just stuck with it. Uh, our response to the light, to the words of Jesus, determine whether we're his sheep or not. And we're going to see that as we look into this. And so uh, this begs the question that we want to ask is, how do we know if we're one of his sheep? Wouldn't you like to know that? Yeah. yeah. So, okay, uh, if they're not his sheep, I want to make sure I'm his sheep, because it sounds like it's a bad thing to not be his sheep. How do I know if I'm his sheep? And he says, real simply, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Now, I think this verse is much deeper than we realize. Uh, this verse is commonly used as proof that you can hear the voice of God beyond Scripture. God can tell you, uh, you know, pull over here and buy that dress. And, you know, that could be God, right? Right? Were, maybe, who knows? I don't know. He never told me to buy a dress. But <laughs> shoes one time, that was it. Um, so we tend to think of this as, uh, you know, the, the, the verse to justify that we can hear and be led by the Spirit of God. We can uh, hear, we can hear God. And that's true, and there are better verses to point that out, but it's really not what this verse is saying, and it's really a very simplistic understanding of it. Uh, there's a lot more to it. And the first thing I want you to notice is there's two things going on here. He says, my sheep do two things, not just one. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. In the beginning, what did he say? My sheep hear my voice and follow me. So, you know... Uh, it doesn't work that great as a proof text. So I can hear the voice of God. Great. Uh, what do you do when that happens? Well, I, you know, I take his advice sometimes. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I do what I want. We would never do that, right? I'm his sheep. I hear his voice. And sometimes I do it. It's not what he's saying. It's not what that verse is saying. 
not just uh, I'm a sheep, so I get to be, uh, I get to get information from him. It's saying much more than that. Okay, it's saying my sheep listen to me. In other words, they have submissive hearts, and they follow me. If you never hear the voice of God in your spirit or whatever, if all you ever do for your entire Christian walk is hear his voice through opening the scriptures and reading the words of Jesus, that is completely adequate for you to be his sheep. I read it. I recognize it was the voice of Jesus, and I'm going to do that. I'm his sheep. What he's saying is you can tell who my sheep are because they do what I say. Because they want to know what I'm thinking, and then they trust me, and they want to follow my ways, not their own ways. These are my sheep. Their hearts are submitted to me. That's what this verse is saying, and you see why it's a lot deeper than just, yes, we can hear God. So it's about submissive hearts. We see this in Luke 6.46. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, hey, why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I say? Does that seem off to you and it should why why bother to call him lord if we're going to do what we want right doesn't lord imply he's in charge and he knows better and he owns us he paid for us with his blood that kind of thing so he says why do you call me lord and don't do what i say james 122 gets into this also but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So we can hear the word and decide not to do it, can't we? And remember, he says, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. Hear and do. Right? And notice in James 1.22, it says that if we hear his word and don't do it, we deceive ourselves. Guys, it is impossible to hear the word of God and understand it and decide to not do it without entering into some self-deception. Well, it doesn't really mean that. And, and culture, and if you look at the Greek and you kind of look at it this way and lift one leg, it could, it could mean this, right? And we begin to deceive ourselves. We have to talk ourselves out of him knowing more than us, right? And so we need to understand that. That's part of that predation that's out there. Remember, Satan's only line in Genesis was, did God really say? Did he really say that? Do you really have to do that? Do you really have to not eat from just that tree? Do you really have to not, do you really have to do that? Do you really have to forgive? Do you really have to? It's still all he's doing every day. He's showing up, talking to us, going, did God really say? And we have to go, well, I'm going to say, yes, I heard his voice, and I'm going to follow it, or deceive ourselves. Well, maybe he meant this. And then, you know, he lived 2,000 years ago. He doesn't understand what college is like now. <laughs> Mixed metaphors. So, what I want you to get, and what he's saying, is that it's about heart submission. And when he says 
my sheep hear my voice, he's not really talking about our ears. He's talking about our hearts. And I want to show you in the scripture that we hear with our hearts. And the best place to see this is in the parable of the sower. Now, uh, we see it in Mark 4, we see it in Matthew 13, we see it in Luke 8. Three gospels, same parable, same you know, story, just three different people telling it. Um, and I'm going to read a small passage out of each one of those. But in the parable of the sower, the word that is sown is the same to all four people represented, isn't it? What's different? The hearts. The word is the same. It's the same word. Word doesn't vary. The hearts vary. Different hearts receive the word in different ways. Let me show you that. And so uh, you need to see that it's the same word, but different hearts. Matthew 4.15, just pulling this out, this is all, all three of these are in the context of the parable of the sower, which I assume you're familiar with. I'm just pulling these out. Matthew 4.15, and these are, he's explaining the parable. He says, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Where was it? And it got taken away by a predator who came and deceived them. Right? You see it? The word is sown in our hearts, not in our ears. Matthew 13, 13 through 15. Jesus is between uh, telling the parable of the sower and explaining it to his disciples. And he's telling them why he uses parables. He says, therefore... I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Why don't they hear or see? Dull hearts. Dull hearts. Dull hearts. And the two feed each other. The more we deceive ourselves by not doing the word we've heard, the duller our hearts get. The more we uh, don't listen to Jesus, the duller our hearts get. The duller our hearts get, the harder it is to hear Jesus. Right? So all of this, so what I really want you to get out of this is uh, John 10, 27 is about our hearts. My sheep hear my voice and follow me is about our hearts. My sheep have hearts that are submitted to me, that believe that my way is better and that trust me to lead them. Those are my sheep. That's how you can tell you're a sheep. And so uh, we see this in Luke 8, 15, where again, he's explained the parable of the sower. And he says, but the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, with a receptive heart, Keep it, that sounds like doing to me, and bear fruit with patience. Why do they bear fruit? Because they kept the word. Why did they keep the word? Because they had a good heart. You see it? This is not difficult. His sheep just have a heart to find out what he thinks and do it. That's it. That's all he's saying in John 27. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. My sheep listen to me, and then they do what I tell them. If you're not listening to me and not doing what I tell you, you might not be my sheep. That's all he's saying. 
right? Now, let's go on then, finish this up, verse 28 and 29. It says, and I give to them eternal life, that sounds good, and they shall never perish. Yeah, never perish, eternal life. Just all you got to do is say yes. All right, you're the shepherd, I'm in. Where's the door? I'm in. Eternal life, never perish. He's done all the work. The shepherd's done all the work. You can just be a big, dumb, woolly, cute sheep. <laughs> Try not to wander off cliffs. Right? And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now, we talked last week about eternal security a little bit. This is eternal security, that once you're in God's hand, no one can take you out of God's hand. No one. No one can separate you, Romans 8, from the love of God. Now, here's the thing, though, and this is the where we can go too far with this. The eternal security is in heart submission to the good shepherd. We are absolutely fine unless we begin to quit listening to the shepherd and get dull hearts and stop following him. No one can take you out of his hand, but you can climb out if you get offended or decide you know more than he does, right? So we need to understand that. But as long as you go, I got a, I'm going to keep my heart submitted to God. You can make a lot of mistakes. But as long as your heart's submitted to God, you can be secure that nothing can take you out of his hand. But don't you get so secure that you feel like you can get away with anything. I got this. I ain't worried about predators. I don't need a shepherd. I can, I'll figure life out. No, nah, that's a dangerous. You'll end up with a dull heart and a lot of wolf bites. Right? Okay, so then he finishes up in verse 30, and he says, I and my Father are one. And the Jews go, oh, no, you didn't. You didn't just go there. <laughs> That's it. And they pick up rocks. And then we got to do this. You, you went there. It's time for stoning. You earned a stoning. You just claimed to be God. And he goes, why are you going to stone me? What? I did a lot of good works. I healed some sick people, and raised some dead people. Uh, for which of these works are you going to stone me? And he goes, no, nah, none of those. Uh, you made yourself out to be God. You claimed God's status. You're going to have to die for that. Right? Now, this is not the first time they've tried to kill him. And it's not the first time they've been unsuccessful because it's not going to happen until he lays his life down uh, when he wants. And we all know about that. So they want to stone him though because he claims God's status. And I want this just to end with to be clear. Uh, it is super clear many times just in the Gospel of John as we've been going through this that he claims to be God. And so going back to the trilemma we talked about earlier. Uh, uh, you can, you know, people will tell you, well, I don't know that Jesus ever claimed to be God. So, well, okay, you might be smarter than every Jewish guy in Jerusalem at that time, but they, every single flipping one of them, picked up a rock. They were sure what he was saying, right? I'm pretty sure he claimed to be God. 
And so they had to make a choice. And that's it. You either, you got to submit or throw rocks. That's it. And uh, a lot of people throwing rocks. Yeah? But we submit and hear and do and bear fruit. Amen? How many of you want to do that today? All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get the band back up here. And I just want to pray over you. And, and this is what I want to pray. I just, the word submission just keeps resonating with me that we all, I love that uh, Isaiah says um, about Jesus, of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end eternally. And I get excited about Jesus reigning in the earth and his government increasing and him being in charge instead of the present people we have. And, that, and I say that about the last several administrations. I'd still rather have Jesus. Right? But here's the thing. Uh, here's the application that I want us to consider about the ever-increasing government and peace of Jesus. You know where he really wants to increase his government? In my heart. In the same way, we want the increase of his government in the earth. Jesus is going, Tony, I like the increase of my government in your heart. And I need to go, yes, you are a good shepherd. I want to submit to that request that you would govern my heart in a greater way, that there would be an increase of your peace in my heart. And I want to recommend to you guys that you do the same thing. Yes, God, increase your government in my heart. I understand that your sheep hear your voice and do what you say, and I want to be that. I want to be your sheep. I want to hear your voice and do what you say. I want to have a heart, even if I don't understand. I love this. I do this when people are talking about, well, I'm not sure if God told me to do this or that or whatever. I go, you know what I do? I go, I go God, I trust you to be a better shepherd than me to be a good sheep, because, you know, sheep, dumb, right? So I go, God, I'm going to pray, and all I can do is make sure that in my heart I want to obey you. And then if at the end of the day I'm praying about this thing and I'm 90-10, awesome, I'm going into it with confidence. If I'm 51-49, whether to go this way or that way, I'm still going into it with confidence. I'm just going, because in my heart, all I can do is go, God, I want to obey you. And here's where I think you're leading me. And even if I miss it, I know in my heart, God, I was trying to obey you, not trying to get my own way. Right? So I don't worry that much. Uh, I just do my best to hear him and go, God, you be a good shepherd. I just, just try and keep me from eating my way off a cliff, God. Get me out of this ditch so I can run. Amen? Lord, we ask you today to just give us, by your grace, uh, greater hearts of submission, greater expression of the rule of your kingdom in our hearts. Lord, we want to be in the place where it is comforting to us to know that you are restraining us, that you are uh, reproving us with your rod, you are guiding us with your staff, that that's a comfort to us, that it's not a restriction, that it's not a restraint. Lord, we just, we just ask for greater grace. Lord, we just come this morning and say in, in a fresh way, 
Uh, Lord, we just want to express our submission to you as the Lord and owner of your sheep. Lord, we love you. So I just invite you, just stand and worship and just, you know, uh, do business with the one who knows you by name and calls you by name. And just offer your heart to him.